To be sure, we live in a pagan world. How do we respond to the world around us in light of the grace that we live in through Christ Jesus? Well, that's the subject of our time today as we return to the book of Titus. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We would invite you to join us for the next half hour as we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, welcome to Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We're back in the book of Titus again. Chapter one is where we're at, understanding that salvation is by grace through faith and results in God's peace. Now in light of that peace, how do we then live in the pagan world that surrounds us? Well, as we'll see today, we're who saved by grace must engage in good deeds and we must submit ourselves to the authority of the local church. For more, here's Pastor Steve. Those who disagree with the doctrine of election often say, if God chose all that will be saved, then we don't need to evangelize. We don't need to evangelize anybody. They'll get saved anyway. That's not right because God has determined the means for those people to be saved. And the means for those people to be saved, those people being the elect, is the proclamation of the gospel. I mean, we know that God has many elect who will certainly come to faith when they hear the gospel. Turn over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. Excuse me, Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 48, Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, heard what? Basically a presentation of the gospel. We're not going to take time to go through it, but that's what they just heard. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And look at this, as many as were what? What's it say? Appointed to eternal life, what'd they do? They believed. They believed. Acts 18, look at verse 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Verse 10, For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. And then what does he say? This is God saying this. For I have many in this city who are my people. I have many in this city who are my people. What's he telling Paul? Hey, you know, I know you're going to get some flack here, but you just continue doing the work because there's still people that need to be saved here because I know, because I've already chosen them as my people. They just don't know they're my people yet (laughs) because they don't have the mind of God. Look at at John chapter 6. John 6 Look at verse 37. I mean, you just can't get around this. John 6, look at verse 37. It says, all that the Father gives me, this is Jesus speaking, will what? Come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. See, God has beforehand set out 
chosen for himself. I don't know why he's chosen who he's chosen. I don't know how many he's chosen. Only God knows that. I don't know who he's chosen. I think it was Spurgeon that said the elect aren't running around with a big yellow stripe down their back. We don't know. That's why we need to go evangelize. That's why we need to go out and share the gospel with everybody. Hoping that some will believe. And those that believe are those that God has set his love upon. It should encourage us to evangelize. Not discourage us. I mean, don't be afraid of the doctrine of election. It's something that's biblical. It's something that's there on every page. Just because we can't fully comprehend in our own logic how God did this or why he did it, I have the slightest idea. I'm not God. Some things remain a mystery, God says. But the fact that he chose me, I know he chose me because I'm saved. I know I'm saved because I see it evidenced in my life on a daily basis. I'm just thankful. On the other hand, if salvation is up to the fallen will of a dead man, someone who's blind, someone who's rebellious, someone who's classified as a sinner, if that be true, if it's up to man's will to believe, the Bible is very clear, beloved, none will believe. Nobody will be saved. Look at verse, chapter 3 of Romans, verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. If salvation is left up to the will of man, sinful man, look at what it says. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become, what? Worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive their venom. Their, the, the venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That does not sound like God is describing somebody who's eager to seek after God in their fallen state. Even over in, in John, Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 43. 8.43. Here Jesus is telling them, you're the father of the devil. Jesus 42, he says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? He asked them the question. And then he answers it. It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You're of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And it goes on. There's no good there. Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, just keep on thinking about it. Maybe you'll figure it out. Salvation is something that God does on our behalf. That's why we need to come to God. We need to humble ourselves and realize the state of our sin. And the only way out of this pit of sin is through the grace of God. And that's why we ask God to save us. That's why we come to Jesus as a Savior. Romans 8. Look at what it says. Verse 6. 
I mean, you might be sitting there going, man, he's really overdoing this. No, we need to understand this. We need to understand this clearly. Romans 8, verse 6 to 8, it says, For to set the mind of the flesh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Look at what he says. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to the law of God. Indeed, it cannot. It doesn't have a will to do good. It cannot. Verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh, what's it say? Read it out. Cannot please God. Very clear. So if you believe that, that somehow God allows it up to us, fallen human beings who cannot please God, to make a decision for salvation. If that's what you believe, other than the fact that God gave us salvation, granted it to us, saved us, based on his sovereign choice. If you believe that somehow it's up to the will of man to come to Christ, it's up to them to believe, don't go evangelize. Because you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. If you're thinking you're going out there trying to talk people into the kingdom of God, you're a waste of time. See, Paul viewed his calling as a preacher to the gospel as a commandment from God the Savior. And as he begins his letter here to Titus, he calls himself a bond servant. In other words, a slave is what the idea is. A bond servant basically meant in the... In the, the the society at the time, you could be a, a slave for six years, and in the seventh year, you were set free. That was the whole plan that they had set up. You couldn't be a slave for eternity. But some of the slaves, after six years, the slave owner would say, you know what, you're free to go now. Our religious practices teach us this. You're free to go. Well, some of the slaves would look around and say, hey, I got a roof over my head. I got a job. I got a family that cares for me, and I got food on the table. Uh, what if I don't want to go? <laughs> You mean you still want to stay around? Yeah, I, I still want to work for you. All right, you know what? You're a bond slave now. You're a willing slave. You're somebody who's willingly staying here to work for me. That's what a bond slave is. He was under orders to preach the gospel. By the way, so are we. By the way, so are we. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 9, 16 and 17. Paul's talking about surrendering his rights here. And he comes down to verse 16. He says, For if I preach the gospel, or if I proclaim the gospel, same word there, that gives me no ground for boasting. Why? For necessity is laid upon me. He says, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this on my own will... I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward that in preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so not as to make full use of my right in the gospel? 
He was under orders to preach the gospel. We are under orders to preach the gospel. Yeah, but God knows who's going to get saved. Yeah, he does. But he wants to use you to go out there and proclaim to them the good news so that when that person who is elect by God before the foundations of the world that you don't even know responds favorably when you explain the gospel to them, wow, they are converted. Not because you're there doing some special talk with them, but because you're giving them the truth of the gospel and you're being obedient to God's call upon your life. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a neat process to be part of, I would think. It's a win-win. If you go out and someone rejects the gospel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. That's between that person and God. And we're out there just sowing seeds. We're just a link in the chain that leads them to Christ. Third thing there, see, salvation is by grace through faith, and it results in God's peace. Salvation is by grace through faith, and it results in God's peace. There's so many people looking for peace. I mean, even on the world theater today, peace here, peace there. Everybody wants peace, but nobody wants to look to the right place. Paul greets Titus here, and he calls him my true child in a common faith. True child means legitimate child. He probably led Titus to faith in Christ, as I said earlier. Common faith may refer to the Christian faith as a whole or to even both men's personal faith in Christ. We don't know. But the one thing that we do have when we come to Christ and we're saved gloriously out of our sin and we come to the Savior the way the Bible says, then all of a sudden when we meet other believers who are also saved from their sin, there's a bond there because we have a common faith. You can go on vacation and go to church and walk into a church. And if it's a church full of believers, what happens? You feel at home. You feel welcome. You, you, you sense a, a bond with those people in Christ. Grace and peace was Paul's common greeting. But it's more than a greeting. Grace sums up the gospel. As opposed to all other world religions. All other world religions do not count on God's grace. They count on fear. They count on count on judgment. They count on manipulating people. Our faith teaches us that salvation centers on God's grace. Every religion apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ is based on human merit and works. I don't care what faith it is across the board. And I think that's personally why sometimes people have a struggle with understanding the gospel. Wait a minute. So This man who's perfect came to earth. He died on a cross. They beat him up, ripped his back open, pulled his beard out, did all this horrible stuff to him, and he never did anything wrong. And now if I put my faith in what he did, somehow that's going to negate everything that I've done. Where's the catch? There's got to be a catch there. There's, you know, no free lunch. I mean, what's, what's, what's going on here? That's the glory of the gospel. See, who gets, who gets the glory if that message is true, if that we put our faith in someone who didn't deserve all the stuff that he went through, Christ, on a cross, and we put our faith and trust in him, and miraculously our sins and our debt of sin is freed from us. Can we stand before God and say, yeah, I did pretty good, didn't I? I, I you know, I, I got rid of all that sin. I didn't. No, we can't stand there and say anything like that. We have to stand there crushed with humility, saying, praise to you, Father, that has forgiven me through the work of your Son. I didn't deserve it. Why in the world did you save me? I had the slightest idea. 
but I know that you did and I'm thankful. As opposed to somehow we work out our own salvation through works. The gospel alone rests on God's unmerited favor, his grace to sinners. Who, by the way, deserve every bit of his wrath. See, until you come to the understanding that you are under the wrath of God, you have no need for the grace of God. You know, you hear the, you hear the phrase in, in court sometimes, you know, I'm just going to come before and throw myself at the mercy of the court. What does that mean? Usually people that do that, they, they don't have anywhere else to go. I mean, okay, they're just going to try to be nice to the judge and hopefully maybe the sentence will be reduced somehow. The gospel alone rests in the unmerited favor of God. It also rests, it results in the peace of God. It rests on the unmerited favor of the grace of God, but it results in the peace of God. If you want peace in your life, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, if we want to be God's people in a pagan world, we have to make sure that we're saved by His grace and that we proclaim the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Well, does that mean that because we're saved by grace, that once we're saved, we're free to do whatever we want? No. Number two here, to be God's people in a pagan world, we who are saved by God's grace must engage in good deeds. I mean, this is kind of a a second major theme throughout this whole book. The first one is, hey, we're saved by the grace of God. But the second one is, because we're saved by the grace of God, we better be about doing the business of good deeds, of good works. All that know Christ are God's servants, are God's bond servants. See, Paul doesn't begin his letter here. You know, the right Reverend Dr. Paul addresses now. The honorable apostle, no. Well, the, the wonderful author of most of the New Testament and Christian conference speaker, no. Cracks me up. Sometimes you go to these seminars and you hear these guys being introduced. And you think that the person introducing the person would just have a little more tact. Because sometimes they go on and on. And you can tell the speaker's even uncomfortable. You know what he says? He says, you know what? Paul, a slave of God right here, bond servant of Christ. It was a title applied to Moses and several other prophets. So maybe he's trying to identify himself with the Old Testament saints to establish some credibility here with the Jewish people that he was uh, the critics that were really plaguing this little church. But if you're a child of God through the new birth, you are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6 says very clearly that you have been bought with a price. We have too many Christians running around too worried about their own rights. You know what? A slave doesn't have any rights. As God's bond slave, you are under orders to obey and serve him, whether you understand what he's called you to do or not, whether you feel comfortable with what he called you. You know, so many times, sometimes stuff needs to get done, even in the, in the church. You know, positions need to be filled or people need to help or whatever. And you ask people, well, you know, let me, let me pray about that. Sometimes I just want to say, you know what? Why don't you just do it? Quit praying about it. Just do it, for goodness sakes. It needs to get done. If you don't do it, somebody else is going to have to do it. What are you going to pray about it for? 
I just don't understand that kind of mentality. Because we're called here to serve one another in the body of Christ. Sorry, that was just a little side thing. A little passionate about that. We're all God's bond servants. Secondly, the truth that we know now leads to godliness. He says, the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. Same thing for the intent, for the purpose there. We've all been saved by God's grace. We're all God's workmanship, Ephesians tells us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In Titus, throughout the book, we're going to see that he emphasizes good deeds, good works. There's nothing wrong with good works. Good works are good as long as you're not putting your trust and your faith in your good works to save you. As a Christian, you better have some good works. If you don't have any good works as a Christian, I would have to say, I don't think you're a Christian. Very clear. I mean, it's a tragedy when someone professes to be a Christian, but he disgraces the gospel through dishonesty or immorality or whatever. Ungodly character. I'm not saying we don't all make mistakes. We all sin. We're all in this boat together. Don't get me wrong. But God's people should display for the most part, godly behavior for the world to see. How do we do all that? Last thing, to be God's people in a pagan world, we must submit ourselves to the authority of the local church. This is a point that goes over like a lead balloon. Because authority is not a popular concept in our society today. I mean, we have a nation basically that was founded on rebellion, Independence Day. I mean, you know, authority in a way scares us. We think of dictators or mind-controlling cults. And we see him work through this text. And you have to understand the way God set this up, beloved. First, there's God the Father who gives his commands. He says that in verse 3. He is the supreme sovereign of the universe. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, willingly he submits himself to the Father's will to carry out the divine plan of redemption. Then you have the apostles, of which Paul was one who were under the authority directly of Jesus Christ, who were delegated authority over the churches. And then the church was founded on the apostles, it says, and the prophets. And after the foundation was laid, those two offices ceased to exist because there's no need to have them around because the foundation was laid. Any modern sense of apostle only refers to one who is sent out. We're all apostles in a general sense, but we're not apostles in the way that they had the office of apostle. And as we see, the authority of the local church is vested in the plurality of men who are called elders or overseers. We're going to get into that next week. They're not free to lord over the church. We're not here to tell you how to live or what to do or what to wear or how to dress. But rather, we're here to serve under the authority of God and under the authority of his word. And whether you like it or not, the entire church is subject to that. Just as we need proper parental authority in the home to bring up children to maturity, so in the family of God we need the authority of godly elders to help people grow in godliness. In closing, let me ask you, have you been saved by God's grace? I had a person ask me one time, how, how can I know if I'm one of the elect? <laughs> the biblical answer simply is this, are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If so, that didn't come from you, it came from God. God opened your eyes. God raised you from spiritual death. He granted you faith. He granted you even the repentance to believe. And if you're saved, there'll be evidence in your life of a new heart. 
You'll love God. You'll want to get to know him better. You'll love God's people. You'll hate sin. You'll want to conquer it. Secondly, are you seeking a life, seeking to live a life of good deeds because of what God has done for your soul? Do you live to please him every day or do you live to please yourself? And thirdly, are you committed to and in submission to a local church where God's word is honored and the gospel is preached? See, this isn't the only church on the block. My point is simply that Christians are called to be part of a local church. We need to honor the teachings of God's word and the way that we practice our faith on a daily basis. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.